John chapter 14. As we've been looking the last several weeks at this section of Scripture, specifically John chapters 13 through 17, and uh, the, the last words that Jesus shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross, and as he discusses several things in that text, uh, one of the uh, perspectives we can approach that text with is to look at it through the lens of relationships, the different things that Jesus says that his followers are to have relationships with, or people, or, or what those relationships look like. And so today I want us to think about your relationship, our relationship, to God's Word, to the very Word of God that we'll be reading from in just a second. Uh, it's really impossible this morning for me to overstate the importance of the relationship between the person who follows Christ and the Word of God. Suffice it to say that I think we'll see this morning, it is impossible to fully follow Jesus without having the right relationship with His Word. In fact, I think we can look at what Jesus says, and we can begin to learn that truth. Look with me, John chapter 14, two verses of Scripture, verses 23 and 24. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now, I want to give you at the outset kind of the overall picture of what our relationship is to be with the Word of God, and I want to give that to you in the form of an equation, okay, and then we'll kind of work our way back and see what I mean by that. There should be something on the screen here for you in just a second that shows you that relationship, and that equation simply consists of this, information plus application equals transformation. Okay, that is a, a snapshot picture of the relationship the follower of Jesus is to have with God's Word. Information plus application will lead to or equal our transformation. God's goal for our lives is transformation. His goal is to cause us to look more, to act more, to be more like Jesus. He summarized that when he told the Apostle Paul, or when the Apostle Paul tells us, rather, in Romans 8, 29, that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is God's goal for our lives. It's the transformation of our hearts, the transformation of everything that we are. Now, Jesus' words tell us how that transformation takes place. In fact, the verse isn't going to be on the screen, but it's in your Bible, so you still have access to it. And in John chapter 17, just a couple chapters over, in John chapter Chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus says, He's praying for us, and He prays, Sanctify them in truth. Your word, God, your word is truth. Sanctify, transform them with the truth. Make them more like 
me with the truth, and your word, Father, it is truth. He said in verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The goal of our transformation or the, the goal of our, our sanctification, it is accomplished by the Word of God. We are the object of transformation. God's Holy Spirit is the, 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 the one who, the agent who will transform us, and the Word of God is one of the means God will use to transform us. Our task then, if that's the goal of transformation, that, that's God's work. Our goal then revolves around information and application. You see, most of us have been taught to believe that the goal of the Bible is to get us information. Now, information is an important part of the process, but it is not the process. Information is an important part of that equation, but it's not the solution. Information gets the information into our heads, but that doesn't do anything with our hearts. And God's not just concerned about your head, God's concerned about your heart. And so the information has to be coupled then with application, with us putting hands and feet to what Jesus has said, and that will then enable the Holy Spirit to do a work of application or of transformation in our lives. So our responsibility is to learn God's Word so that we can then apply God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus Christ. Now, why should that be our goal? Why is this God's goal? Why? What, what should our attitude be towards Scripture so that this goal is accomplished? Here's where we come to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I want to share with you this morning real quick, like, three things that Jesus says about the Word of God, three reasons that we should desire the Word of God, that once these three truths begin to click in our mind about what Jesus said, it will drive us to have the right relationship with the Word of God. Number one is this, we should desire the Word of God because of its source. We should desire God's Word because of its source. Did you see what Jesus said in John 14, 24? He made this statement. He said, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus claimed that the words he spoke were not the words of an enlightened man, but they were the very words of God himself. And Jesus had this attitude, not just about the red part of your Bible. Jesus had this attitude about every part of your Bible, not just the red letters, but the black ones as well. He had this attitude about every single part of Scripture. When you hear people start to talk about the Word of God and how, and how it's different, when you start listening to a bunch of preachers sit around, they'll start to use words like the, the Bible is the inspired, it's the verbal, plenary, infallible, inerrant Word of God. It's, it's verbal in that it's not just the thoughts that are God, it's the very words that are God's. It's not just part of them, it's all of them. It is infallible, inerrant, it's inspired, which literally means it is breathed out by God. Paul says that all Scripture 
all Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. All Scripture. Now, I'll be honest. I can understand how Romans is that way, but sometimes I struggle when I have to believe that Leviticus is that way, right? If you've got a wart on your third toe on the left foot with the arm growing out of your head, this is what you do, that kind of stuff. I think that's what happens after the vaccine or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Now, that happens that we've seen yet. <clears throat> and if it does, we'll deal with it. Get, get, get your vaccine. That's what I'm telling you. Get your vaccine. The, the Bible is inspired in all of its writings. It's infallible. There's not one error. There's not one mistake, which means then that you can follow it And if you follow it, you will not go astray because it is the very Word of God. You see, the words of Jesus in the New Testament make about 1,800 verses. And of those, about 180 of them, when Jesus speaks those words, are quotations from books in the Old Testament. This is what God says. It is written. So roughly 10% of everything Jesus said was quoting another part of the Bible. The conclusion is that every part of the Bible is equally inspired. It is equally the Word of God. You say, okay, well, that's, that's before Jesus. Then we've got the, the red words that Jesus spoke. He must have spoken in red. But then after that, how do we know about the words after that? Because, you know, a lot of the Bible's written by, uh, after Jesus by pe- people like uh, Peter and Paul and Matthew and Mark and, and Luke and John. Look, look at John 14. Just uh, We read through verse 24. But if you go down just a couple more verses to verse 26, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus promised the apostles that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to them after he's gone, and that Holy Spirit would preserve and continue continue his teaching. This is a promise of, of inspiration. It's a promise of illumination for us. All that taken together is to say this this morning. Because the Bible has a divine source, it is the very words of God. It is trustworthy. It is true. You see, Other books may inform you, other books may inspire you, but only the Bible can transform you. Therefore, get into it and allow it to get into you. Because it has a divine source. And when you begin to believe that, it drives you to have that right relationship to Scripture. Here's the second truth we learn. We should desire the Word of God because of its focus. Because of its focus. Later, and we're reading from John 14, if you get to the next chapter, John 15, Jesus makes this statement in, in, in John 15, verse 7. He said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Jesus equates his words abiding in us with us abiding in him. And he moves between those two concepts for a reason. The words of the Bible 
are always about Jesus. And if you've hung around here, you know, there, there, there are a, a, a few things that I will fight over and that I would die over uh, when it comes to what we believe about God and, and Scripture. And this is one of them. That's why if you've hung around here any time on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights, you've heard me say something, uh, but we're going to see how well you've listened. I, it is my conviction, my belief, that everything in Scripture points to one person, and that person would be exactly that Scripture is all about Him, that He is the single focus of every page of the Bible. After, very interesting, something happens. After the resurrection, Jesus encounters a couple of guys who were walking to a city called Emmaus. And these guys were talking about everything that had been happening over the last several days, about the death of this man Jesus, how he was buried, and how God raised him back from the dead. And Jesus joined them. Now, they didn't know it was Jesus. That for whatever purpose or reason, they were not able to recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus begins to engage them in conversation. And look at what Luke 24, 27 says. Luke 24, 27 says this. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at that. He started with Moses and the prophets. Jesus is preaching. And he interpreted to them in what of the scriptures? All the scriptures. Genesis all, all the Old Testament, all the law, Leviticus, all those rules, regulations. And Jesus interpreted that concerning himself. You cannot understand the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from Scripture, and you can't understand Scripture apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let, let me give you just a slice of this pie to help you understand or to illustrate the point. If you go back in your Bible, you get to the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, those books. Those books are full of these narratives of military warriors and armies and battles and fights and everything else. When you look at that text, there is... A plethora of people. For example, you read about Joshua, who was a, a mighty captain who led the entire host of God's army on this earth to victory. You read about Deborah, who came to assume a role of position, and she began to lead the army of God to achieve a, a great victory. And you read about Gideon, who was, Gideon would have been from Podol, he'd have been from my hometown, it's not even on the map when you look at it. And, and he, he didn't really come from uh, a real strong stock of people, and he wasn't uh, really that, that great of a, a military-looking guy, and yet God used this man, Gideon, he didn't have a whole army, he only had a about, about 300. And, and then you see a man by the name of, of Samson who defeated the Philistines all by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. And then you get to this guy named David who was a scrawny teenager with no weapons who defeated a literal giant. Now that is written with a downward progression. Okay, stay with me, follow me. Okay, you start with Joshua 
who was the man's man, Joshua, who had the entire army, and he won with the whole army. Then you got Deborah, she had the entire army, but Deborah was a woman, and in the ancient world, having the woman lead the battle, that would have been a step down in their, in their view. And so you got a, a slight progression there, downward there, and then you had Gideon, and Gideon didn't have an entire army, just a few hundred guys, so it gets a little bit smaller. And you get Samson, who, I mean, you know, Samson, I always kind of picture Fabio when I think about Samson, with, you know, long hair, and he's a, you're a, you're a tough guy. And Samson defeats the enemies by himself. But again, he's a strong guy, but still it's now gone to one person. And then you got David. David didn't even lift. David didn't, had no gym membership. You would not have seen, I would have seen David at any gym if he did have a gym membership. But those of you who do, he wouldn't have been there. And here you got David, this scrawny, weak teenager who defeats the giant in his life. And the entire Philistine army fades away. The whole point of these narratives is to point you to the fact that Israel's deliverance was not going to come by political might or by military might, but to point you to one who was going to come in weakness. It's, it's, it's designed to point you to one who is going to defeat the enemy all by himself. It's pointing to one person, Jesus. That's the only focus of Scripture. You see, these narratives in Scripture are not there to provide us with human heroes to emulate. They are there to point us to a Savior who is worthy of our worship. The whole point of the Bible is to help you see that Jesus is worth it, that He's worth giving it all to follow. The Bible has a divine source. The Word of God has a singular focus. But here's the third thing I'd say to you this morning. We should desire the Word of God because of its power. Because of its power. I referenced to you earlier that verse from John chapter 17. Verse 17 where Jesus is praying for us. And He prays that we be sanctified, set apart in the truth, your word is truth. The word of God is powerful enough to transform. It is powerful enough to bring life. Think back to the book of Genesis. When in that book of Genesis, God speaks and light comes out of darkness. How the earth was, was formless and void and God spoke and with the spoken word of God, beauty and life burst forth out of darkness. John's gospel starts the very same way. In the beginning was the word, but this time the word refers to Jesus. You see, just like God's spoken word brought life out of nothing in Genesis 1, God's Son, the Word who became flesh, is able to bring life to those who were spiritually dead, and He's able to transform the lives of all of those who will surrender to Him. You see, when John's gospel prepares to, to wrap up and, and, and 
we've got one more week, and we won't even get as far in John's gospel as, as this reference I want to give you. But as, as, as Jesus is crucified, and, and the gospel of John told, tells us about his burial, his resurrection, it, it then mentions how he appeared before the disciples, and he breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. He breathed supernatural life into their lives. That also harkens us back to Genesis when God created man and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God's Word, Jesus Christ, the Word of God is powerful to transform. Don't miss what Jesus said in verse 23 of our text. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. As you abide in God's word, the fullness of God himself comes into your life in the same way that we believe the gospel for salvation. Believing the gospel releases the power of the Spirit in our lives. You need to have a relationship with the word of of God today because it is the Word of God who can provide you with what you need the most, a Savior who will transform your life and in whom you can anchor the rest of your life in Him. See, this Word tells us that what you most need is a restored relationship with God. We are sinners. We are rebels. We have chosen to rule our own lives rather than allow God to use our lives for His purpose. But this Word of God tells us that God, in His love, has extended His grace to us by sending His Son, Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins. So that if we will repent of our sin, if we will turn back control of our lives to God and receive His free offer of forgiveness, we can be saved. Have you done that? Do you need to do that? That's the question I'm going to leave you with today. Has there been a time in your life that you ask Jesus, this Word who became flesh, to be your Lord and Savior, to transform your life. As you seek to follow Him, maybe you've made that decision, you're seeking to follow Him now, are you surrendered to His Word? Surrendering to Him means that we surrender to His Word. It means that, that we take our cues from Scripture. It means that we allow his word to be a light to guide us from where we are to where God wants us to be. Hey, you can read every book in the library. You can be Oprah's book club president. You can have all the books that man has written, but if your life is not anchored in this book that God has written, when the storms come, you'll get knocked over. When adversity comes, you'll find yourself 
under the circumstances with life over your head. But if you'll anchor yourself in Jesus, if his word will become to you more precious than gold, if you will, like Job, desire to make it your daily bread and desire it more than the foods you eat, it does not mean that life will be without valleys, but it means there is one who is all-powerful who walk with you through those valleys. If you don't know this one, this Jesus that we preach about week in and week out, he's simply a prayer away. Right where you are, you can pray and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Right where you are, you can make a commitment to do what God is calling you to do. Well, I don't know what your next step might be. Your next step might be to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. It might be to take the step of publicly identifying with Jesus through baptism. It might be the step of making this place your church home. It, it might be the step of recommitting yourself to do what God has called you to do. It might be the step to just make a recommitment to Jesus Christ and to his word, to ask him to use his word to guide your life. Whatever your next step is today, we want you to invite you to make that step. And making that step, fairies, we want to come alongside you, help you as best we can. If there is your next step that you're ready to take, you just pull out that yellow card that's in your pew. You complete what next step that is. When you leave here today, drop that in. We'll follow up with you. If you're online, you go to our website at pcmilton.org. At the very top of the page, it says, click here if you're ready to make your next step. And you click that, the same forms there. Whatever step God's calling you to make, it's our desire, our prayer that you will make it. To make the Word of God the center of your life and the Jesus that it exalts. Thank you.